0: The following audio content is a talk given at The Inn, a college ministry of University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, theinnseattle.org. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Bailey, and I was an intern this past year at The Inn, and now I'm back, and better than ever. So, uh, for those of y'all who haven't been around The Summer Inn a lot this summer, We've been going through the Sermon on the Mount, which is Jesus' longest teaching in the gospel, uh, specifically in the book of Matthew, and we've just been unpacking it a little bit. Last week, we heard from Andrews, uh, where he told us a little bit about what Jesus says about where we place our values and what it looks like to put our treasures in heaven as opposed to here on earth. Uh, similarly to that, uh, as well as pretty much everything else in this series, we are going to go through a text today that's filled with the evident wisdom and the intentionality of Jesus um, and his will for us as his people. But before I read through it with you, I'd love it if you would all bow your heads and pray with me. Uh, Father God, I thank you for uh, your evident presence here in this room, here with these people. I thank you for... Bring us all he- out here on a Tuesday evening. Um, God, I pray just that you would uh, use your words tonight, not mine, uh, that you would relieve any anxieties that I'm feeling um, and just use this time, use this space uh, to draw hearts to your kingdom, God, to be glorified. Um, I pray for open hearts and open ears, both uh, in everyone here as well as with me. Um, use this space, God, because I know that you can do awesome things with it. In your name, amen. amen. Awesome. So uh, before we get started, the scripture that we're going to be going through today is in Matthew 7, so I'm going to go ahead and just read it for y'all before we go anyway. Uh, so Matthew 7 reads, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow is the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. So as I first read through this and began studying this test text, I'll be honest, I panicked. Mainly because there's a lot to unpack here, and it felt like there were a lot of different directions that I could go. It also kind of made me think of school. Um, have you guys ever taken one of those classes where it feels like basically all of the subject matter is common knowledge and you're learning absolutely nothing new? Yeah, I took this business ethics class uh, a few years ago, back when I was a student, and um, We literally spent hours a week talking about how it's wrong to lie to your customers or to call in sick when you want to go to a concert or to use the company credit card to take your family out to Canlis and things like that. Like, I found myself like going through the book and listening to the lectures and just rolling my eyes all the time at all the obvious information that was being spit at us. And at first, this text, especially having been exposed to it before, as I'm sure many of you also have, kind of gave me the same initial reaction. Like, if anyone at church came up to you and was like, true or false, you should judge people. You obviously are probably going to come up with an answer generally pretty quickly. It's just a really obvious thing. Um, but despite it feeling obvious, there's a reason that we take those types of classes in school. It's important that we what we already know is brought to the forefront of our mind regularly. And similarly, in this text in Matthew, there's a reason that Jesus comes to address this behavior of judgment. He wants to redirect our hearts towards the way of the kingdom. He wants to free us from our constricted worldly assessments of people and instead turn our posture towards God so we can ask him how he sees these people. I believe that the warning to not judge others and to seek God's counsel is um, God's intention to lead us towards becoming vessels to release the kingdom of heaven on earth. So beginning in verse 1 through 5, Jesus warns us not to judge so as to prevent ourselves from being judged ourselves. Uh, at the time Jesus spoke these words, uh, it's been suggested by people who have studied the text that he's speaking more directly to, towards Pharisees and scribes, mostly because their lives and their environment uh, had this climate of everyone constantly looking at everyone else to see if they were keeping their standards up. And this advice was relevant, too, because of the obvious cultural separations that were around at the time. Jews versus Gentiles, rich, poor, dirty, clean. It was all too easy to categorize people and find your place among them based on these judgments. Jesus' warning to not judge others based on these standards was so radical because of the normalcy of this behavior. And just because it was spoken over 2,000 years ago doesn't mean it's not relevant today, especially this scripture right here. I totally think it's still a problem in our day-to-day culture. We so often measure ourselves on a scale from failure to success in so many different ways. And we determine our failure and our success based on the failures and successes of others. If that girl gets an 85% of her test and I get a 90%, i have been successful and I'm smarter. I can run a mile in six minutes and the guy I'm running with can only do it in seven and a half. So I can go ahead and rest assured knowing that I'm a superstar athlete. Uh, I don't party as much as those people over there, so I'm definitely more mature, and I'm probably closer to God. We make assumptions and uh, jump to conclusions like this all the time, and so often we do it without even doing it on purpose. We strive for success, and we define our success based on the failure of others. Now, don't get me wrong. I think I don't think that Jesus is saying that we shouldn't have high standards for ourselves or for our world. I think we definitely should. I think more so he's acknowledging that the temptation to look down on each other for each other's failures is itself kind of a temptation to play God. It's supernatural for us to be able to pick out flaws in other people. But then in verse 5, he calls us out, which is kind of hard to hear, but it's so important to hear. He addresses us, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brothers. Hypocrite. Ouch. (laughs) Ouch. It's a word that's defined as pretender, actor, someone who claims beliefs in which one's behavior does not match. We can't cleanse anyone of their sins. We can't cleanse anyone of their specks. We aren't God. But PTL for Jesus, because he can, and he has. Uh, And as hard as it is, sometimes we can leave other people's successes and failures to him and focus on our own planks. And see how we are seen in the eyes of the only one who really matters. To him, sin is sin. There's no point in comparing our planks and our logs and our specks and our driftwood.. <laughs> our, our, fa- <laughs> sorry. our Father sent Jesus as a representation of the end of all this judgment on his people through the cross. Because of Jesus, our specks and our planks are irrelevant. So we can go ahead and stop being nitpicky about them and start focusing on the daily grace that we receive to wash them away. It lifts a ton of burden off of ourselves, and it helps reflect the freedom that we are invited to through Christ. Jesus is calling us to protect our hearts from judging others, but there's a little bit more depth to the message. We're all created in the image of God, and our Father up in heaven is captivated by his creations whether you're a student at UW or a beggar on the Ave or a single mom, every person who walks on this earth is loved and adored by him. He sees everyone through the lens of Jesus and desires good things for all. And as countercultural as it may seem to focus on the good things about each person we come across, what would happen in our community if we were seeking to see people based on how God sees them? What if we were simply asking for eyes to see the world the way our Creator does? What would He tell us about the people we interact with? What would He say about who they are? I recently got a taste of this firsthand. Uh, I got to spend a good chunk of my last month in Zimbabwe, volunteering at a hospital uh, in a small village called Chitamoyo. Uh, and one of my main jobs at the hospital, mostly because I actually have zero medical experience, was working with the expecting mothers, which was really sweet. Um, so I'm there in this, on the other side of the world with dozens and dozens of women in this really remote place. It's like a pretty dirty village. They're all pregnant. <laughs> They're all different ages. They all have different backgrounds and stories. And it was a really easy situation for me to start making assumptions. Where did some of these women come from? They worried their kids are gonna get AIDS? Are they married? Is the father gonna be around? How is this girl pregnant when she looks like she's 13 years old? Um, There's so much room for judgment, but my particular role with these women was to essentially share with them from the Bible and promote community with them. I didn't speak their language. I didn't understand their culture. I didn't know their background. I didn't know their stories. Uh, So I was kind of at a loss. So I really had no choice but to seek guidance from God. (laughs) I had to ask for wisdom about what to share, what would be beneficial for them to hear, how to best love on them. And in this process, I was able to be kind of blindsided to all those questions I initially was asking. Um, And I started to see the real identity of these women. I was able to call them out in these real identities, which was so sweet because some of them had never been called out on these identities before. I saw that they were treasures in God's eyes, as were their expected babies. I got to see that they were strong and gifted and beautiful and filled with joy. And I can't tell you how wonderful that experience is to be able to share that truth with women, some who have never, ever heard it before. Uh, How indescribably better it was than spending my time worrying about their specs. Um, this opportunity to pray for eyes, uh, to see Christ's heart for people was something that I directly related to my experience in Zimbabwe initially. Uh, but it's something that we're invited into every single day. It doesn't have to be people from an extreme other culture that are pregnant with a baby at 12. It can be the person that you walk by on the street. It can be anyone. We are invited to make the decision to consult Jesus before relying on our own worldly opinions with everyone that we come in contact with. So if we look back in Matthew to verses 7 through 11, Jesus encourages this consultation with these words, ask, seek, and knock. So often in life, we're intimidated to ask for things. We're a people who greatly fear the response of no, or even worse, what it feels like, silence. But we're so frequently urged to ask and assured that we'll be answered. For example, a great verse in James 1, 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously, to all who ask, and it will be given to him. When my worldly wisdom and opinions come up short, I can ask, seek, and knock on heaven's door to discover what God thinks about the people and situations that I come in contact with. I'm super, super encouraged by the imagery Jesus gives us back in verse 9 through 11, back in Matthew. Uh, comparing the requests of our own children to the requests to him as our Heavenly Father because it's a reflection of our relationship with God. Imagine you're a parent and your kid comes up to you and asks you for bread. What does your heart desire to give them? You wouldn't give them a rock. You wouldn't give them a snake. You wouldn't give them any of those weird things like that. You'd probably give them bread. <laughs> You'd give them what you know would nourish them, what you know is good and beneficial to them you would never give them anything harmful, harmful to them at all. And if the situation is right, you go above and beyond. Maybe instead of bread, you hit that kid up with some molly moons because you know you can and know that they would like it. Blessing our children in this way is a way to give ourselves great joy. And in that same way, blessing his sons and daughters on earth is a way that our Father in Heaven receives extreme joy, indescribable joy. He loves to bless us. If our earthly fathers desire to give good gifts to their children, our Father in Heaven has even greater things in store. My hope is to surrender my agenda and align my heart with God's heart for my circumstances. If we come to Him and we ask with pure intentions and the right posture of heart, we will never be disappointed in the end. Like a good parent, our God knows our hearts and He knows our desires. He knows what's best for us. And our God loves to bless us. It says in the scripture, he gives good gifts to those who ask. And to those who seek, they will find. We're encouraged to address our struggles, to, to address our doubts. This same passage actually shows up in the Gospel of Luke, and it goes into a little bit greater detail, uh, talking about how God loves our inquisitiveness and our imp- impudence. It can feel kind of awkward or even annoying when you are continually asking, continually seeking, continually knocking, but God's heart is moved when we pursue him and pursue his wisdom and acknowledge his wisdom. He rejoices in the opportunity to bless us and to reveal truths in us when we pursue him with shameless audacity. Uh, it applies especially to seeking how to view ourselves and how to view one another. As we talked about in the verses prior, it's something we face every day. He provides us with this formula of asking, seeking, and knocking, and it protects our hearts from judgment and relying on ourselves. Verse 12 continues um, that in everything, we are to treat people the same way that we want to be treated. The previous scripture reminded us that we need to view ourselves as the treasured children that we are, fearfully and wonderfully created individuals that are immeasurably loved and desired by our Father in heaven. And even more than that, this verse reminds us that we must acknowledge that we are surrounded by other treasured children that are just as individually desired in the kingdom of heaven as we are, and we need to treat them as such. We have this really rad opportunity to reflect onto everyone around us the way that we desire to be treated, the way that Christ our Savior would treat us, with abounding love and kindness. We get to treat people the way Christ would treat people. We get to do Christ's work in that way, knowing that he loves us in that way. And the only way that we can continue to love in this way is through asking and seeking and knocking and relying on the eyes of our Lord. So then verse 13 and 14, to me, are kind of the theme of this whole passage. At first, it's kind of intimidating, and it makes the kingdom sound really difficult. Um And I guess in a way, it is. The way is narrow, unlike the broad and wide gate towards destruction that so many pass through. As I mentioned earlier, none of what Jesus counsels us us on here in the above text really seems that hard to carry out or counterintuitive. But in this world that we live in, a world broken with sin, the gate is narrow because none of it is what society promotes. The enemy has made brokenness accessible and easy. So that gate is wide and well-traveled. The challenge of the narrow way is the challenge of a choice. An intentional willingness to go against the ways of this world. A choice of eternal life over attachment to life on this earth. And that choice is all that's really required of us. You come as you are, and you are made new, and you are washed clean. The gate is narrow, but it's as simple as choosing to step through. You choose this way, and you choose to put your treasure in heaven. You choose to see yourself and others the way our father sees us, to accept that we are being sought after with the greatest love possible 24-7, to represent the kingdom you are called home to and to have the opportunity to share the good news of it, a kingdom set apart from the ways of this world but being brought to earth by God's children. You choose the opportunity to continually ask and receive, seek and find, to knock on doors that will always be open to you, to love and be loved better and to live fuller. It's a really rad deal, to be honest. So as we look into this invitation to ask, to seek, to knock, to take the narrow way, uh, I wanted to close this with a time of prayer for one another. Uh, I'd love for us to pray really intentionally over the people around us um, for seeking hearts, uh, discerning eyes, especially towards judgment, for eyes to see people the way that the Lord sees them, because we have this really awesome opportunity in the community that we live in to do that, to do just that. We could pray for postures of heart towards the narrow way so if y'all wouldn't mind just getting with the people that are nearby you um and praying over each other for that um we could take the next couple minutes and do that and i will close us in prayer father god uh i just i thank you for this time for this opportunity that we have uh to acknowledge the ways that we were created fearfully and wonderfully ways the fearful and wonderful way that we each were created Uh, God, I thank you that you love us and seek after us and adore us and see that in us every single day. Um, I pray that you give us eyes to see each and every one of your creations in just that way, God. Protect our hearts from judgment uh, and allow us to be blessed by the wonderful creations that are your children that we walk by every single day, whether they're our best friend or a stranger on the street. Uh, God, give us boldness to seek after you, to ask, to knock, God, we know that you are jumping with excitement to bless us, um, to fulfill our heart's desires, um, to bring us closer to your kingdom. You are a good, good Father, Lord, and we are so thankful for the ways that you love us. Uh, bless everyone's night as they go. Thank you for everything you us. Um, we love you. Amen.